Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. In James 5.15, we're promised that what James calls the prayer of faith, or the vow of faith, will make the weary person well. What is the vow of faith? the prayer of faith. Now, possible, the phrase just simply means faith in the ordinary sense, just trusting, believing the truth about God, trusting in His goodness and His wisdom to make the best decision about your prayer request. It, it might mean that. Another possibility is that it's referring to the kind of faith described back in chapter 1 when he talked about praying in faith and not doubting, which there is the opposite of double-mindedness. So you're fully committed to God, uh, not waffling back and forth. Now I'm kind of committed to God. Now I'm in the world. And back. Uh, it could mean that. That could be the prayer of faith. That would make sense because it's the context of the book. But there's a third possibility. Many interpreters believe that this phrase, the prayer of faith, is talking about something beyond just the normal kind of prayer of faith. James is using an unusual word here for prayer, a different word than what you would expect. It's actually the word normally translated, vow, which leads one scholar to say that this this phrase, the prayer of faith, sounds kind of like a technical term, uh, referring to something very specific, very special. Now, if we're trying to figure out, okay, what would it be? The prayer of faith, what is it? We've seen throughout the book that James gets his terminology and his ways of thinking and ways of speaking from Jesus. We we see that very often, uh, close connection between Jesus' words and James' words. And so if we search Jesus' teachings in the Gospels for some special prayer, an unusually strong promise for answered prayer when when faith is present, what do we find? Do we find one that stands out? And I think we do, and it's in Mark 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Jesus said, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That is unusual. That is the only place I know of in the Bible that defines faith that way. Faith is always a certainty in what God has promised. That's what faith is. It's a certainty of what God has promised. But this is the only place I know of where it's described as a certainty that you're going to get what you asked for. Believe that you have received it. Normally what we see is different. Normally what we see when Jesus talks about faith is something more like this. In in Matthew 9, 27, two blind men followed Jesus calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? See, he didn't ask, Do you believe that I will? Are you confident that I'm going to? He didn't ask that. He just said, Do you believe that I'm able to? Yes, Lord, they replied, and then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it'll be done for you, and their sight was restored. They were healed because of their faith, but their faith wasn't an assumption that Jesus was going to do it. Their faith was simply an assumption that he could if he wanted to. That's, normally, that's what faith is. Usually that's how scripture describes it. Mark 140 is another example. A man with leprosy came to Jesus, begged on his knees, if you're willing, you can... You can make me clean. 
I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. He didn't assume that Jesus was going to heal him. He just said, I know you can. And that was faith. And you can contrast that with a guy in Mark 9 who questioned uh, Jesus' ability. He, says, he just came to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, then take pity in, on us and help us. And Jesus right away, if you can? What do you mean if? You know, so there you get a rebuke. If you say if you can, you get a rebuke. But if you say if you're willing, that's okay. Because we don't know if God is willing. We don't know for sure if he's going to do it. We just need to trust that he can. So it's fine to say if you're willing. Don't ever say if you can. So, there's, there's, th- those are some occasions where Jesus describes faith as trusting in his ability. In fact, there's two times in the Bible, just two, when Jesus describes somebody as having great faith. And both of them are, have to do with his ability. It's when somebody thought that Jesus could heal uh, their, their child from a distance. He didn't have to travel to their house. He could just do it from a distance. Both times that someone did that, Jesus said, that's great faith. Again, it's faith in his ability. Not assuming that he would, but assuming that he could. You can't force God to do something just by convincing yourself that he will. That's not what faith is. If you think that faith uh, faith in prayer is just getting yourself convinced, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and, and that's somehow faith, that's not faith. You don't know for sure it's going to happen. Faith is believing he can, he can, and I trust him to decide whether or not to do it. That's faith. Okay? That's why there's sometimes when you're surprised by what God does, right? If faith were just uh, uh, believing God is going to do something, being convinced that he's going to do something, and then he has to do it, well, then you would never be surprised, right? He would always do it if you thought he was going to do it. But there's been times in my life where I was just sure God was going to answer a prayer, and he didn't. So, if something's not true, then believing that it is true isn't faith. That's just delusion. Okay? So the strong emphasis in Scripture is faith, about faith is God is able. He's able. And then I trust Him to make a good decision about whether or not to do it. That's the normal way faith is presented in Scripture. But, but Mark 11 is different, isn't it? I mean, can you see that it's different? If, he says, if anyone believes that what he says will happen, then it will be done for him. That's different. That's unusual. That stands out as unique. And I, I think it may be that that's what James is referring to when he says the prayer of faith, the special prayer of faith. It's that Mark 11 kind where you just know it's going to happen. Evidently, there's some times when God will do that. He'll give you a great degree of certainty about his will in some particular area where you know how God is going to respond. He makes it clear. You know it's going to happen. By the time you're done praying, you know it's going to happen. Now, some of you, you got red flags just flying up. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. This is, this is the, the word of faith movement stuff. What's the difference between word of faith stuff and that? Here's the difference. We don't get to pick when this happens. We don't get to pick what it is we're going to be certain about. We can't just, in the name it, claim it, in the, the, the word of faith movement, they just say, you can pick anything. Whatever you want, just pick it, and then just convince yourself it's true, just say it's true, and it'll be true. But this, this, is, this isn't that. This starts with God. This has to start with God. It doesn't start with you. He decides he wants to do something. Then he burdens your heart to agonize and in prayer over it earnestly and fervently and persistently. 
And at the end of a major struggle in prayer, you emerge with an awareness that this is what God is going to do. Okay, so can you see the difference? So the reason the prayer of faith is always answered yes is because God will never grant you that level of certainty if if he's not going to do it. It's not something you can just pray whatever you want. It's it's, It's only possible in these special cases where God makes it clear. Now, those are the three possibilities of what this phrase, prayer of faith, means. And I can't tell you with 100% certainty um, that it means that third uh, meaning. Uh, but I do think that's likely. I think it's more likely than the other two, actually. Which is new for me. This is a new uh, understanding of this. I've not thought this way in the past. But I was convinced of it in studying this passage in the last month or so. And, and it, it fits It fits with what we see in the rest of Scripture. For example, with Elijah. James is going to point our attention to Elijah in the next couple verses. And um, in that section, he says, Remember Elijah, he prayed that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again that it would rain, and it rained. And if you read the account, it's in 1 Kings uh, 17 and 18. You read 1 Kings 18, and you'll see that that, uh, it wasn't just a matter of Elijah just saying, "Uh, Dear God, please make it rain. And then it started pouring rain. That's not how it happened. He went off to a place by himself, and he spent some time alone, earnest, effort-filled, intensive prayer. And nothing happened. God, make it rain. End this drought. It's time. End it. Bring rain. Nothing happened. And so he did it again. Nothing happened the second time. So he did it again, and nothing happened the third time, and he did it again, nothing happened the fourth time, or the fifth time, or the sixth time. And he did it again, but the seventh time was different. He prayed a seventh time, and this time a tiny cloud appeared on the horizon the size of a man's hand. That is a small cloud. <laughs> I mean, nobody sees a cloud the size of a man's hand and says, oh, no, it's gonna, we've got to cancel our picnic, Right? If the sky is completely clear except for one the size of man's hand, you're thinking that's a clear day, right? Clear skies. But somehow in the course of that seventh prayer, God made it clear to Elijah what he was going to do. And Elijah just knew. He knew. And so he got up and sent word to the king, you better get moving before you get stuck in the mud, in the flood. Because it's going to pour. And, and, and Elijah, he doesn't hedge his bets. He, he didn't say, well, maybe, you know, he didn't say partly cloudy with like an 85% chance of precipitation. He, he, I mean, it's, he put his whole reputation on the line. It's going to rain. Just like he did with the prophets of Baal when he said, fire is going to come down and consume this thing. He knew it was going to happen. So that's what we see in Scripture. And we don't just see that in Scripture, but we see this in the lives of the saints. And and we see it in the church, and we see it... Here's the interesting thing. We see this happen across denominations. And Now, please understand, we don't gain our theology from what we observe happening in the church. That is not how we develop our theology. We get our theology from the Bible alone. That's it. Uh, However... Observing how God does the things that he says he's going to do in the Bible, observing how it shakes out in the church, can be very helpful in uh, understanding, first of all, what it looks like, and secondly, it can help us really trust in it and believe in our hearts what we know to be true in our heads. 
Okay? And as I was studying this passage, it, it really amazed me how many accounts I came across of this happening across denominations. And, and the reason I, I say across denominations is because I think that's significant. I'm always skeptical, skeptical about things that God is supposedly doing, but only in one church, only in one denomination, right? Or, or only select portions of, of the church. For example, it only seems to be in certain kinds of charismatic churches where God is supposedly giving miraculous gold fillings to people. And he doesn't do that in non-charismatic churches. It's like, why would that be? So I'm skeptical about that stuff. But, but this is an experience that people seem to have in every sector of the church. This happens. Let's give you a couple of examples. A couple of weeks ago, I, was re- I read uh, this from John Bloom. He said, one Sunday afternoon, my wife was in bed with a high fever, groaning and unable to sleep. I was lying next to her, praying about something else. I was in a season of significant spiritual wrestling, which was absorbing most of my prayers. But I remember being filled with, with hope over some precious promises of God and expressing thanks to Him. Suddenly, my joy in God grew unusually intense. God seemed almost tangibly near. I couldn't help overflowing with awe-filled worship. And almost immediately I knew, without a doubt, that if I prayed for Pam, she would be healed. I laid my hand on her back, prayed very simply in Jesus' name, and immediately my hand sensed that her body temperature drop as she instantly fell asleep. She got up later completely healed. That's just an example of how this happens. I was reading a, a Reformed commentary, uh, the Reformed Expository Commentary in James, which is very Reformed, very non-charismatic uh, commentary. And, but the author tells this story. He says, A friend suffered a viral infection of the heart and was extremely ill. After two weeks, he called the elders of the church to come and pray for him and anoint him with oil. No one in our church had ever done this before, and so we did something very Presbyterian. We studied the matter for another six weeks and hoped he didn't die in the meantime. (laughs) He made it through the six weeks. At last, we appointed uh, a night for prayer, and the elders gathered. Before we prayed, the pastor told us not to expect a dramatic physical healing since God heals in many ways and all that. And I appreciated his motive, but there was no need to restrain my enthusiasm because my doubting heart was already skeptical enough. My friend knelt down in the middle of the circle of elders. We anointed him with oil, laid our hands on him, and began to pray. And and I was appointed to offer the closing prayer. As soon as we began to pray, I had an overwhelming sense that God was at that moment healing my friend. And I knew God was healing him. I knew it. Four days later, the man was completely healed. Now he goes on to say, that experience never happened to him again in his ministry. It happened one time in his life. And I'll give you one more example from our own fellowship. Tom Moeller was, I was talking about this with Tom, and he said, oh yeah, that happened to me once. Uh, he, it was when he was an elder at a previous church, and um, a, a friend of his was in a terrible car accident, an unbelieving friend in a terrible car accident, and was in a coma. This was back in 1977. And Tom said one night, about a month and a half after the accident, she'd been in a coma for a month and a half. He said, I couldn't sleep. And the words, Rita, it's time to wake up now kept on going through my head. And I was very fearful that I might be hearing God wrong and giving a new believer some false hope. And, and, and so I tossed and turned and prayed all night, and, but the words wouldn't leave my head. The next morning, Tom went straight to the hospital, and by the time he entered that hospital room, Tom said there was no doubt whatsoever what God was going to do. And here's what happened. He said, in the hospital room, she seemed to give signals 
that she could hear and understand what I was saying as I spoke to her about Jesus. And she signaled her agreement to receive him for the forgiveness of her sins. And then I delivered those words. Rita, it's time to wake up now. And she started a real deep crying, producing tears, which flowed down her face. Previously, she had been basically motionless and unresponsive for a month and a half, so the the tears were definitely something new. For the next two and a half months, she made regular progress up and out of her coma, coming fully out in January, expressing the fact that she knew Jesus. I got to wondering not too long ago, actually, if it's time to wake up now, Rita, meant the coma or... Salvation. Though, uh, through this, her husband came to the Lord too, and both are now serving the Lord to this day. Now, for Tom, again, this is a one-time thing. It's the only time it's happened in his life. So this seems to be fairly rare. It seems to be a special thing. Um, Nothing like this has happened in my life that I can remember. But it may be that's because I wasn't looking for it, because I didn't think, I didn't used to think God worked this way, so I haven't really been open to it. I am now. I am now. And I'll say this, there have been times when it's kind of gone the other way where it made it was clear to me to stop praying in one direction and start praying in a different direction. Um, I remember when we were all praying for my dad last year, um, there came a point as in, in the progression of his cancer, there came a point when we all just, we, we, we just all stopped praying for his healing and started talking about heaven. It's just like God seemed to make it clear to us this this illness, he he wasn't going to recover from it. And he wanted us to pray a different way. One other observation. In each one of these these stories, it matches something that we see with Elijah. Namely, that that strong feeling of assurance that comes only comes after a significant season of prayer. I mean, that that happened with Elijah six times, nothing happened. And seventh, he's finally confident. And it it seems to be a common experience um, that this this, this high level of assurance, yes, this is what God is going to do, doesn't, you don't start with that. You don't wait for that to happen and then pray. It only comes after a season of earnest, intensive, arduous prayer. You pray and pray and pray and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle with God. And finally, he puts it in your heart what he's going to do. In fact, I'll give you an example, one more story. John Piper asked his father about this. Now, John Piper's father is, was anti-charismatic. I mean, anti. Uh, Piper said he could write a book uh, titled Power Without Tongues. I mean, he was against the charismatic movement. Um, but he asked him this. He said, Dad, have you, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever prayed so long and so hard that before you got up off your knees, you knew it was going to happen? And his dad said, yeah, about five times. My whole life, just five times. And, and he said, tell me about it. So he told him one of the stories. And this was what he told him. He said he was in the middle of an evangelistic crusade, and uh, no one was responding to the message at all. And he was discouraged, and he, so he, he, he just prayed all through the night. He, just, he wrestled in anguished prayer until 2 o'clock in the morning. And he said this, at 2 a.m., God assured me that five people would respond the next night. And so he's, he's just certain that this is going to happen. So the next night he goes and he preaches and he gives an invitation and four people come forward. And everyone left. He closed the service and ended it and dismissed everybody and they all left. And he just stayed there. He just stayed and waited and waited and waited. And finally... 
One came back. Got halfway home, turned around, came back, says, I, I need to deal with this. And he gave his heart to the Lord. So when his dad told him that story, John asked his dad, Dad, why don't you pray like that all the time? And he said, if I did, I would be dead. If I did, I'd be dead. That's, that's how hard he wrestled in prayer that night. It's not the sort of thing you just do day in and day out. It comes after significant prayer. And even if Elijah, you don't see, this is very special moments in his life when this happened, not every day. Um, it comes after significant prayer, which means you start praying before you have the confidence. That's the point. So don't sit around waiting for God to show you how to pray before you start praying. Ask him at the beginning, how should I pray? Show me how to pray. But then pray. And, 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 and realize that in most cases, faith is not just believing it's going to happen. In most cases, faith is just trusting God, believing that he can, and then trusting him to do what he will. That's the normal mode of prayer. If you can, take some time right now to ask God a very simple question. Father, is there something you want me to really wrestle in prayer over? Something you might end up giving me this special assurance in so that I might pray this prayer of faith? Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.